The following audio is from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com. I'd like to talk with you today about the reason why we exist as a church. In fact, the reason why the church exists at all. I mean, what's the purpose? What's the point? Uh, is the church, you know, just a, a nice building to go to? Is the church uh, just a place in the community that helps some people out? What What is really the purpose of the church? And, and where do we find our purpose as a church? You'll notice in your program a card that says our purpose. It has a glass of water on it. If you could get that out, we're going to be reading together Today, we're going to be reading aloud some sections off of this card that says, Our Purpose, with the glass of water on it. And we're answering these questions. You know, if the church is a gathering, what are we gathering around? Uh, If it's a group of people, why are we getting together? What's our purpose? Where are we going as a church? And uh, let's read that now. If you've got that in front of you, on the back, the very top paragraph where the text is all bold. Uh, Just a moment, we'll start it. It's the paragraph that starts, Cornerstone exists. Did you guys find it? Okay, let's read it out loud together. Cornerstone exists to glorify God and make disciples. Our strategy doesn't come from the latest church fad, but from Jesus Christ, the head of Cornerstone. You know, throughout history, every effective organization has had a really clear purpose or a really clear mission. Uh, We've seen this, all of us who enjoy iPhones and iPods and Apple computers. It's because through the 80s and 90s, Steve Jobs led this little company that he started called Apple Computer, and he led them with a crystal clear sense of purpose and mission to create uh, electronic consumer devices and computers that normal people could use. Uh, most of you drove here in an automobile, and that's because about a hundred years ago, a guy named Henry Ford did not invent the first motor car, but said, I'm going to make it my purpose at the Ford Motor Company to make an automobile that a normal average person can afford to buy and drive. And under leadership, uh, organizations have a clear vision and a clear purpose, and, and they can achieve it. Uh, but very often in, in churches, uh, we get going and we get growing and it's easy to lose sight of what's our purpose? What's our mission? Uh, so today we're going to remind ourselves from God's word, here's our purpose as a church. And maybe you're thinking, well, this doesn't really apply to me. I'm not a church leader. I'm not a pastor. Uh, here's why this applies to you, because it's the exact same purpose that you have in your life. You know, in a human body, um, there are untold billions of cells. Um, You've got all these cells, and in every single cell, uh, as genome scientists are able to open them up, they find that in every cell are these strands of DNA that have the blueprint for your entire body. Every single cell. And that's God's desire for a healthy church. Uh, a healthy church is not a building. It's not a bunch of leaders. It's not even an organization. 
It's a whole bunch of Christ followers who've met Christ and he's changing their lives. It's all of them getting together. That is the church. And a healthy church is one where each of us is like a cell in a body. We've all got this blueprint in us of the purposes for which God created us. And as we come together as a body, God uses us to do things that we could never do on our own. Things like you saw in that short Because of You video where, wow, God is really changing lives. He's reaching people across the world. It's because we're all working together under Christ's leadership. Here's what we've found as we've looked into God's word about practically what are the purposes for us. We've found this, growing from the roots of Christ's grace and his truth, a healthy church and really a healthy life bears four kinds of fruits. And we're going to look at those today from God's word. But I want to start with this foundation. And this comes from a verse in John chapter 1, verse 14. When uh, John, the gospel writer, tells us about Jesus and, and, and says, Jesus was the word made flesh. He was God himself. And he came down into a dark world as a light. And into that light world, he, he showed the way to God. And, and John 1 says, still a lot of people rejected him. A lot of people didn't want the light. They preferred the darkness. But to those who receive him, he gave the right to become sons and daughters of God. When you accept Christ as your Savior, you get adopted into the very family of God. And then in John 1 verse 14, we're told that Jesus came full of grace and truth. Those are two really full words. And let me try and explain how significant that is for you. I'll, I'll explain from my experience. I grew up in a church that was full of truth. But there was not a lot of grace to go around. There was a lot of memorizing the Bible and knowing facts. And you know what? That's important. There was fullness of truth. But when you messed up, when you didn't make the standard, when you were imperfect, there wasn't a lot of grace to go around. Then as I went through college and seminary and interacted with different ministries, I found that there were some other ministries that were very full of grace. I'm just unconditional love, beautiful acceptance of you wherever you are. And, and that is how we're to be. But sometimes ministries that are full of grace aren't so full of truth. They don't want to mention that, you know, the Bible says if you don't confess Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you will spend eternity apart from him in a place of darkness and difficulty. That's the truth. Jesus came full of grace and truth. And if you think about yourself or your spouse, people you know, this is remarkable. Because very many of us, by our own human disposition, nothing supernatural going on, just our own personalities very many of us are people who gravitate towards being people of truth. That's just natural. That comes easy for some of us. Or people of grace. There's some people who are just naturally really loving and accepting. And, and one of the, the beautiful things about Jesus, the man who is fully God, is that he was full of grace and truth. This combination of these two things that seem to oppose, but he was full of both of them. So this is one of our values at Cornerstone because scripture over and over says that the church is a body and the head, the leader, the boss, the brains is Jesus Christ. 
If Jesus is full of grace and truth, then, then a church that is really his body is going to be a place that's full of both grace and truth. So that's kind of the, the foundation. We've got some roots down there, and then up grows this, this tree. God often talks about your spiritual life as being a vine or a branch or a tree. And on that tree, as you're walking with Christ, uh, by the way, you don't have to be perfect um, because none of us are. And if you read your, your Bible, you'll find that everybody that God used in there, everyone except Jesus who was God, was imperfect. And they were some pretty messed up people. So if you've got flaws, welcome, okay? You're in the right place. The, the church is for uh, people who need a savior. And as we root ourselves in God's word, in his grace, and his truth, he's going to bear fruit through our lives. That's, that's the, uh, the metaphor that God uses. Uh, you know, we don't probably have a lot of farmers in the room today. But if you have a grapevine in your backyard, I grew up in Michigan and we had this big old grapevine in our backyard. And, and you know what? Every year, what fruit was on it? Grapes. You know, it never once had raspberries or blackberries, and we had some of those in the area. It nev- we never once got an apple on the grapevine. And God says this of us. He says that our lives have roots, and our lives bear fruits. And before we know Christ, those fruits are things like selfishness and greed, uh, stepping on anyone else to get a little bit higher in life and get more for ourselves, all sorts of things that God uh, refers to as sin. And they're things that are actually self-destructive, uh, things like alcoholism and, and addictions of all sorts. And those are the fruits in our lives before we know Christ. Once we place our faith in Christ, God gives us a new life. And he actually talks about this in the book of Second Corinthians. He, sa- he talks about walking in newness of life, having a radically new life. And once you get new roots for your life, then your life will start to bear new fruits. Things like love and joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness. These are things that I cannot bear in my own strength. I can't work really hard and produce patience, but God can do that through me when I'm rooted in him. And in the same way as a church is rooted in God's truth and is under the leadership of Christ as the ultimate leader of the church. And by the way, wherever you go to church, if God calls you to move someday or go to a different church, the true leader of the church is always Jesus Christ. Okay, it's not a senior pastor. It's not elders or deacons. God uses those under shepherds, their servants, under his authority, okay? He's the true head of the church, and as we're under him, he will bear fruit through us. So the reason I'm saying all this is that we can have a purpose statement, and we can have it written on the wall. And, and I've seen lots of ministries that have that. But we as a church might be living something totally different. You know what I mean? It's one thing to get the truth and be accurate about, okay, here's a theologically accurate purpose statement. Let's print it up on some plaques. Let's put it on the walls. Let's put it in the program. The question is, are we actually living it out in our lives as a church family? And so uh, we sought out from the beginning at Cornerstone to look at the New Testament and say, okay, what are the fruits that a healthy church produces? Let's kind of categorize these so that as we grow and as we go through different seasons and different challenges, our purpose doesn't change. We always know these are the fruits that a healthy church produces. 
And we'll know if we're producing these fruits, um, praise God, he's working through us and we must be aligned with him. And if we're not, we need to get on our knees before him and remind ourselves this is our purpose is to, as we read, glorify God by making disciples. And we'll see that happen in these four key areas. If you've been here for a while, you've heard me say before that our goal at Cornerstone is not to be a big church or a little church. And our goal is not to be a hip, trendy church or a traditional church. Our goal at Cornerstone is to be a gathering of believers where Christ is truly the head of the body, the leader controlling everyone and everything by his word, his errorless, unchanging word, and his spirit who lives in us as believers. That's our goal, very simply. And as we do that, he makes disciples through us. And as we do that, he will bear through us these four categories of fruit that we're going to look at today. So this gets a little supernatural, you know, like in the Garden of Eden and in Revelation, they have these trees that have multiple fruits on them, okay? We as a church are supposed to have fruit in these four areas So let's begin looking at them. The first is that a biblical church, a church that's under Christ, will rescue the lost. We join God's great rescue of the lost. Jesus said to go into all the world and share the good news of salvation. In fact, why don't we pull out our purpose card again and we can read our rescue paragraph together It'll help it drill it down into each of our hearts and into each of our minds. Under rescue, we're going to read together starting at the words Jesus said. Are you guys ready? All right. Jesus said, go into all the world and share the great news of salvation. We take this seriously, beginning here in Prescott and reaching beyond through the rescuers or missionaries we send to other nations. We invite you to be rescued and to join the rescue. Let's put Matthew 28 up on the screen. Jesus parting words to his disciples. He says this, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. That's the Greek word uh, where we get the word ethnicity, all people groups baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Do you know that you've been rescued today? I can't get through a message without asking you. You know, uh, God describes our earth that we live in, not as heaven or as the Garden of Eden, but as as a place that's infected with sin. Uh, We often wonder when we get sick or while we go, we see um, people hurting or dying or starving or um, pain like divorce and so many problems in this world. We think, you know, how could God create a world like this? And God starts the Bible in the book of Genesis by telling us that he didn't create it this way. He created it without sin, without cancer, without divorce, without death, without pain. And he entrusted it to the first humans, Adam and Eve, and he said, you guys take care of it. And it was us humans who intentionally invited the contamination of evil 
into human history. And ever since, it has been expanding and exploding and just getting things darker and darker. So God looked down on this world that he loved and saw that humanity was trapped in the darkness of sin. And he said, I'm going to send a rescue. Now, maybe he could have sent one of his really powerful angels like Michael the archangel. But God loves you so much that he decided to send himself. He would come down to earth, he decided, in the person of Jesus Christ. And Philippians chapter 2 says that he, who is God Almighty, humbled himself, took upon him the form of a man, and came down here to pay the penalty for our sins. Humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross, so that all the consequences for all our mistakes would be paid for. It's like when a, when a teenager gets their driver's license and let's say they're driving a little bit recklessly and they crash their car and it's clearly their fault. Do they really deserve for mom and dad to buy them a new car? Well, probably not technically. Maybe a parent in love might say, hey, I'll pay the consequences for you. I'll, I'll, I'll pay to get your car repaired. Okay, that's a, that's a crude example, but the point is that at the cross, Jesus, Almighty God, said, I'll pay your penalty. I'll take your consequences. My favorite picture of this is the story of the miners in Chile who were trapped three miles underground. 33 miners who were trapped in a 120-year-old gold mine in Chile, uh, and I think this was back in 2010. And, and through an international effort, first of all, they thought the miners were dead. Then they figure out they're alive. These guys are trapped down there in the darkness. They're out of food and water. Many of them are sick. They're about to die in the darkness. And in an international effort, the world drilled down through three miles of earth, created this human-sized capsule, like a, like a, like a pill, but human-sized, drops it down with cables through three miles of earth to these 33 miners who are trapped down there. Now think about it if you're one of the miners. When that capsule comes to you, you have a choice to make. Am I going to step in the capsule? Which, by the way, is a little bit risky, right? What if it gets a mile and a half up and the cable snaps, right? But you don't have a whole lot of options. You're trapped in the darkness, Well, in the same way, God drilled down to us in the person of Jesus, but here's where it gets different. Jesus told the disciples, okay, now that I've created a way to heaven for everyone who will trust in me, for everyone who will step out in faith and believe in me, I've created the way. Now, disciples, I'm going to prepare the place. I'm sending you out into the darkness. There's millions of people out there in the darkness, and your job is to tell them there's a way out of here. There's a rescue. Follow me. I don't have it all figured out. I'm not perfect, but I found the way out. Follow me. That's why we're here. That's what it means to go and make disciples. In that, as a follower of Christ, if you've trusted in Christ for that rescue, he says, okay, you're rescued. The day's coming when I'm going to zip you up. But until then, I want you out there telling other people that there's a rescue because I love all of them too. So as a believer in Christ, is that in your DNA do, do you, do you, maybe you don't know how to tell people, but do you at least want to? Do you ask God, God, help me to tell other people? That's the first sign of a healthy church. It's a church that reaches the lost. 
What does this look like in our lives? Well, it might look like inviting someone you know to an Easter service here, or really any Sunday. We try and share the gospel every week here. It might mean just showing God's love to some neighbors of yours, building a relationship to where eventually you've got the credibility with them that you can tell them about Jesus and what he's done for you and what he wants to do for them. It looks like John and Stacy Bundy. John, who's an eye doctor in town and is part of our family, deciding, hey, every year I'm going to spend a couple weeks and I'm going to go to a a third world country and I'm going to help them get physical sight so that then the missionaries who are there can tell them about spiritual sight. It looks different for each of us, but are we rescuing? Jesus said, go make disciples. What's a disciple? We don't use that word very often outside of churchy contexts. A disciple is a student, a student who would follow a rabbi around and learn from them how to live life. So a disciple is a student, a follower. A disciple is someone who changes to become like their teacher. And that's the next mark of a healthy church. The second of our four corners is that we transform. We transform. We join God to transform the rescued God empowers believers. He empowers us to become like Christ. So in a healthy believer's life, we're going to be rescuing the lost, and we ourselves are going to be transforming. We're going to be changing. After you trust in Christ for your forgiveness and for your eternal salvation, you're born again, Jesus says in in John chapter 3. You're born again. And then the Apostle Paul picks up on that, and he talks about um, spiritual infants, that right after you trust in Christ, and if you haven't yet, you can trust today, where you, you simply say, God, I know I'm a sinner. I believe Jesus died for me, and he rose again. Jesus, I want you to be Lord of my life. I want to follow you. Will you forgive me my sins? Help me follow you. That, that, at that moment, you're adopted into the family of God, and not to be offensive, but the Apostle Paul says that at that moment, we are spiritual infants. And we drink the the milk of the word. In other words, we start with kind of the sweet things of the word, like that God loves us forever, that nothing can separate us from his love, that if we follow his way, our marriages and our relationships get a whole lot better. Our finances get better. There's all this sweet stuff in the word of God that is just awesome, that really changes the way we live life. And then... Paul says, as you keep growing, you move from that sweet milk into the meat of the word. And he gives this picture that really, until Christ calls you home to heaven, you keep growing in your walk. It's a process of transformation. Here's how he puts it in Romans chapter 12. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. Now, that word pattern, that's a Greek word from the first century. It was the word for a mold. So uh, if someone's trade was um, wax, they would, they'd chisel out a little mold, right? Probably from wood at this time. They'd make a mold, and people, and people still do this today. You make a mold, and then you pour the hot wax in it, and then the wax dries, and then you pull the mold off, and the wax has taken the shape of the mold, right? And right here in Romans 12, God tells us that, you know, before we knew Christ, our lives took the shape of the world system around us. What is that? Well, it's um, to think about ourselves more than we think about anyone else. Um, In this present age, the shape of this world is to store up and get as much wealth as you can for yourself. Act like having stuff will make you happy, even though clearly it doesn't. 
Um, it is to act like sexuality is God right now. That's the, that's the shape of the age we live in. And God says, now that you know Christ, you don't have to conform to that shape anymore. In fact, he says not to. But be transformed. God wants to make you into something better. How? By the renewing of your mind. In other words, as you read scripture, scripture changes the way you think. And the way you think always controls the way that you live. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So for us who've trusted in Christ, the transform corner is about asking ourselves, am I becoming more like Christ? Am I growing? Not am I perfect? Not am I, you know, righteous in my own strength, but is more of God's life living through me? Is there a transformation that's going on? I wonder, as you're following Jesus, if you're following him seriously enough that you could look someone in the eyes and say, if you follow me, if you watch the way I live, if you watch the way I relate to God, and if you imitate me, your life and eternity will be better. Not because I have it all figured out, but because I found the one who does. And, and, and I'm so serious about following him that if you follow me, you'll get to him too. I'll probably trip and you'll probably end up stepping over me to get there. But I can at least get you started. Are, are, you, are, you, are you transforming? Part of God's will for us and for us as a church that we be a body where every single cell, every member of the body is transforming to become more like Christ. Next, when Christ is the leader, we'll be marked by his love. The third corner, love. We absorb God's love so that we can give his love to others. You can't give what you don't got. You cannot give unconditional love to your spouse and children if you have not accepted God's unconditional love for you. Jesus' followers, he says, can be identified by this radical love that they have for each other. In fact, let's read the love. Let's read the love paragraph together. You don't need to read the reference at the end. On your purpose card, it's fourth one down. Love. Let's go. Jesus' followers can be identified by their love for each other. People in Prescott should see that Jesus is alive and risen because of our love. This shows in our relationships at Cornerstone. It also shows in our love for Christ's disciples at other gospel-preaching, Bible-believing churches. We want to help you love and be loved as God designed. Let's look at this, John 13, verses 34 and 35. I'm going to give you a little bit of context on this. You remember in Matthew 28, Jesus says, Go, make disciples, baptize them, and teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. It's kind of interesting. Jesus didn't say everything I taught you. He says everything I commanded you. Now, we don't know for sure what went through the disciples' minds when Jesus used that word command, but I have a suspicion Because we know from the Gospels the last time that Jesus used this exact same Greek root word, entale, command, 
And here's the context. The last time Jesus spoke this word to the disciples, Jesus was on his knees and he had muddy water dripping down his forearms and he was washing the disciples' feet. And as he did that, he told them this in John 13, a new command. Remember, teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. What's the last commandment he gave them? It's right here. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Jesus says, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples. By the Christian fish on your bumper. (laughs) By the fact that you go into a building once a week and raise your hands or close your eyes or sing some songs. No, those are good things. But Jesus doesn't say those are the things that are going to change the world. Those things are fine. Those things are great. But he says, here's what's really going to change the world. I mean, remember, God's who knows everything says the only solution, the only plan to fix everything that's broken in humanity is the message that I've entrusted to the church. In church, here's how you get the world's attention that this message is real. I mean, think about it. In the age we live in, there is so much noise. There's so much noise. How do we get people's attention? Well, Jesus told us it's by this radical love that people see in our lives. And they just realize, wow, that person's like from another world. Because normally when I treat someone like that, they hate me and they do it right back to me. But that person gave me food for it. Or, you know, these people are just weird. These people are weird that they love each other and they love others so much. And if you look at church history for the, for the first few centuries of the church as it was exploding across the ancient Near East, that's what drove it. We have emperors who historically have written, uh, the Christians, when everyone else throws their babies into the river because they don't want them, the Christians go out with nets and and grab them. When, When there are whole sections of the city that we say, don't go there because there's a plague there, the Christians go in there and take the people food and water. What is with these people? And it was on the back of that love that the church exploded and grew. So a a biblical church is going to be a place that we're about rescuing the lost. We are transforming. We all know we're works in progress. And a place where the love is just, uh, it's otherworldly because it's God's love flowing through us. It's not some human love that we try to work up for each other. Finally, a church is going to bear another kind of fruit. This fruits of rescuing the lost, these fruits of transforming, this fruit of love, and finally, this fruit of serving. We serve God by serving his people with our time, with our resources, and with our abilities. He's given each of us different skills and gifts. And did you know that God has planned specific good works for you to walk in? Now, a lot of church backgrounds say, you know, do this list of good works and then you'll be saved. Well, we know from scripture that it doesn't work that way. We get saved by just admitting, God, I have a need. Will you be my savior? I'm a sinner. Romans 10 verses 9 through 11, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You can't earn your salvation. So don't get hung up on that when you see the word good works. But we are told this, let's put Ephesians 2 on the screen. 
In fact, this is told to us right in the context of you're saved by grace through faith, not by anything that you've done. Your salvation's a free gift of God. Then you're told this. For we are God's workmanship. That's a Greek word, uh, poema. It's where we get our word poem. You are his masterpiece. You're his craftsmanship. You are. Not all of us together. And that's another story. But you, just you. He knew you from eternity past. He knew your name. He knit you together in your mother's womb. He knew, you know, the parts of your, your face that you don't like and the parts of your personality that you don't like. He knew all of that. And he said from eternity past, okay, uh, I, I'm going to, th- oh, no, they're going to be trapped in sin. I'm going to die to set them free. And then when I set her free, he like carves this little channel in the story of human history. I, I'm going to make this path of good works for her to walk in and no one else will be able to do what she does. These are good works that I've prepared just for her. Billy Graham can't do them. Chuck Swindoll can't do them. Only she can do them. Only he can do them. That's what it means when it says, we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus. This is for believers who've trusted in Christ. For what purpose? To do good works. Well, are these to save us? No, these are because God prepared them in advance for us to do. And it's part of his huge story as it beautifully unfolds, we discover these good works. This corner is so important. Well, I'm passionate about it because this is when my Christian life came alive. You know, I had spent quite a few years um, trying to rescue the lost and getting to lead people to the Lord and seeing God transform in me and getting to be part of a community where I was really loved. Which, by the way, if you're not, just on a hi there card, write uh, community group on there. That's, that's an easy launching point for that. You get in a group where, um, you know, you just get to know your group. And one week, someone's transmission will go out, and they won't have money for it. And as a group, you'll figure out how to help them out. And then before you know it, you'll be the one in need, and they'll help you out. But for me, it was this serve idea that just unleashed my Christian life because I really, really believe next to knowing Christ as your Savior, the most fulfilling thing that you can do in your life is to find these good works that he prepared for you. Sometimes we get distracted thinking mine need to look like someone else's. They don't. It's a unique path for you of good works. When you find that, in it you will find a fulfillment and a joy and a peace and a passion that you've never experienced before. It's a little bit of heaven on earth. So it's my desire as a shepherd and as a leader for you to to help you get there. And you know what? It's, it's clumsy for many of us. It was clumsy for me getting there. It, it's a lot of trial and error. And you get there by just saying, you know what? I will serve where there's a need, and I will grow in Christ. And as you do that, and you keep serving different places, you find all of a sudden, man, I love hosting groups at my house. Or I love holding babies in the nursery. Or I love hammering nails. I love finding uh, you know, a person in the church who needs help, Uh, with a house project or their car and they can't afford it and I can physically help them with my hands. You have gifts. You have abilities. You have skills that the rest of us don't have. And God put you in the body to use them for the body. In fact, let's look at that in Romans 12. Just as each of us has one body with many members, right? Hopefully you have a body or you wouldn't have gotten here today, right? You have a body and it's got lots of different parts, right? You've got 10 toes, or you've got a bunch of toes anyway, right? And you've got uh, ears and eyes, right? You've got all these body parts, 
And they don't all have the same function. Praise the Lord, right? I mean, wouldn't it be weird if I was just covered in pointer fingers? Like just this... You know, each part of your body has a different function, and you tend to take it for granted until something goes wrong with it, right? You get an ingrown toenail, all of a sudden that that toe that you never think about, you barely ever even wash it in the shower. It's just down there, right? All of a sudden, you realize, oh, that part of the body is very important. And really, every part of your body is so important. And God says, that's what the church is like, you know? As humans, you tend to think, well, the person on stage or the person who does this is more important. They're not. The only person who's more important is Jesus, who's the head of the body. The rest of us, we're all equally important. We're all equally needed. And a healthy church is a place where we realize that. And you know what? It might be clumsy figuring out, you know, am I a hand or a foot? Am I a knee or a nose? I don't know. That's okay. We're all on the, the journey of figuring that out together. Uh, but I saw in my life, you know, when I started teaching the Bible, I was a journalist at the time, but I started to realize, well, this is what I was made to do. This is what I was made to do. And uh, it has brought more joy to my life um, than I can even tell you. So let's wrap up here today. And I just want to, uh, I guess I want to ask you two things. One, are you part of a church? Have you committed to a church family? You know, we live in an age where people say, oh, I don't have to go to church because I am the church. Well, that's kind of true, but it's like a finger saying, I don't have to be part of a body because I'm a finger, right? You, you sever a finger from the rest of the body, and it's not a pretty picture. You sever a Christian from a church community, it's also not a pretty picture. In fact, next time someone tells you that, take them to 1 Timothy 3, where it describes an elder or overseer, and say, okay, if you're a church, who are your elders? Sorry, I'm getting sarcastic. Um, <laughs> But it's important, you know, that we be part of the body. So, so as we go from here today, are you part of a church family? And within the church family that God leads you to, are you, um, which of these four corners, you know, for those of us who are perfectionists, it's like, oh man, I'm flunking in all four out of four. I'm terrible. Okay. If you're like me like that, just pick one today. Okay. Just pick one. Uh, which one could use the most growth? Maybe you served in the past in your life, but you've been on the sidelines lately. Boy, there's, you know, I, I know so many places you could serve. In fact, in fact, if you pull the serve card out of your program, serve card has two hands holding each other. You'll see a list on there of ways that you can serve. And, and what's so cool about this card is you could just circle one and write your name and contact info on there, and you could drop it off. It's this card that has two hands on it. Um, you could drop it off at the belong table. Just circle the one you want to serve in, write your name. We will get you serving. Uh, I know we could, uh, it would be a blessing to our young moms to have more folks serving in the nursery. Uh, a lot of our young moms lately, they're with the kids all week and they're also in the nursery. Uh, it would be a blessing to them uh, if there were more people serving in there. If you don't know where to start, that's a great place to start. Uh, I know the lighting team could use some people. Really, every one of these teams, um, we'll get you on this path. Let's figure out where God designed for you to serve. Like the card says at the bottom, it might be something we haven't even thought of, uh, and that might be why God brought you here. But get on the journey with us if that's the one. Maybe for you, it's the transform one. You know, if you're honest, you just haven't really been growing. Uh, I have never seen someone come to Cornerstone who really wants to grow who doesn't grow. But here's how. You got to take a few, a few steps. 
commit that, okay, instead of being at church once a month or twice a month or when it's convenient, I'm going to be there every week, get into a home group and start serving. If you do those three things and your heart is to grow, you will grow. I guarantee it. If it doesn't happen, please let me know, okay? Because I, I, I guarantee it. You will grow if you do those three things from the heart. Um, I don't know what else the Holy Spirit's working on today, but I'm all out of time. So let's stand up and let's pray together. Father, Lord, we, we really want to be a healthy church. We really want to be healthy followers of Christ. We know that we cannot produce these fruits from our own roots. But we know that as we abide in your spirit, you produce these fruits through us, Christ, as we abide in you. So Lord, I just want to pray for every man and woman in this room right now. Lord, would you give each of us just one thing that we can go away with today? Maybe there's some people in here who've been trying to serve in a way that looks like someone else, and they were sure it had to be that, and you've been closing doors, and they... Today, it's this surrender that, God, your path, I'll walk your path, whatever it is. I want to serve how you want me to serve. Lord, there's some people in here today, you've been convicting them that there hasn't been a lot of transformation. There hasn't been a lot of growth lately, and maybe they've just been too busy to be in your word, to be around your people. Lord, some of us, we know that love, uh, man, that's a supernatural love that you lived out, Jesus, and... Well, Lord, if we're honest, there's some people in our workplaces and in our homes that we've not been showing that kind of love to. Lord, as a, as a church, we want to be used by you to show your love and to rescue the lost. So, Lord, we pray as a church family, Jesus, will you be the head of our church? Make us a place that rescues the lost. Keep transforming us. Keep teaching us to love. And Lord, show us where to serve. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the audio from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com.